Hey, great singing, man. That was great. You guys sound really good tonight. Praise team, you guys did a great job. Great job. We got to get Angela on the on the djembe though, again. We got to do that, man. She's awesome. Paolo's great on the drum. Really great. In January 1956, five Christian missionaries were murdered in South America. How many of you know or are familiar with the incident I'm talking about? Most of you are probably too young to know about this incident. Nate Saint, Roger Uterin, Ed McCauley, Pete Fleming, and Jim Elliott were slain as they were seeking to contact and evangelize a Stone Age tribe deep in the jungles of Ecuador. The tribe was known as the Aka Indians. They were known for their hostility toward any outsiders and the Aka speared and hacked the five men to death. Nate Saint's son, Steve, was only five years old when this happened. His overriding memory of the event was he had not only lost his father, he had lost his hero. This is how he remembers it as a five-year-old. Steve now is in his 60s. And on occasion, he speaks to Christian groups. He goes to various churches and conventions and he talks about his dad and things that have happened in his life. Once after speaking to a particular group and telling them that God had not only allowed the deaths of his father and uh, his companions, but that God had planned it, someone in the uh, audience came up to him and said, don't you ever say that about my God again. I've been in ministry for uh, quite some time now, both lay and vocational ministry, and anytime you hear those words, my God, usually that's what you're talking about. When someone says, my God wouldn't do this, my God won't do that, many, many, many times, not always, but many times, someone's talking about not the God of the Bible at all, but some God that they've made up in their own mind. It's some caricature of God, some cartoon God, some faux God, some pseudo God. This is how Steve Saint responds to to that man's comment. He says, don't anybody tell me that this can't be that God had planned this event. If God could plan the death of His own righteous Son, why couldn't He plan the death of my Father? And of course, Steve has Scripture on his side. He makes a compelling case in quoting Acts chapter 2. God is quite explicit. God says, that I have delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, my Son. As Bible-believing Christians, we understand this. We understand that God is sovereign in life and death. We understand this. This is His divine prerogative. God gives and God takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Bible teaches us that God ordains our days. And God has numbered our days. Beloved, if you actually believe that, <laughs> you're kind of bulletproof. I mean, you don't really have to worry about too much. You understand that this is God's divine prerogative. Life and death. Like almost everything else in life, we tend to interpret death from our own limited, fallen, sinful, selfish, me-centered perspective. 
It comes from thinking that the universe is all about me. And I say this to you a lot. How many of you know it's not all about you? How many of you know this? Raise your hand if you know that the universe does not revolve around you. And it's not all about you. A few of you understand this. This is an important lesson to learn. It is about Christ. And if you have any significance at all, it's in Him. And through Him. And if your life has any lasting meaning at all, it will be in Him and through Him. So God uses these men for His glory. How does God speak about the death of His godly ones? I used this scripture in my, when I was preaching my dad's funeral just some months ago. How does God speak about the death of His godly ones? I read it to you in the psalm to open with. God says, precious in my sight are the death of my godly ones. It's a great homecoming, beloved. We're not, to, we're not to interpret death from a fallen, selfish perspective. Particularly as Christians, we're to interpret it from God's perspective. Steve Saint writes this, Why is it that we want every chapter to be good when God promises only that in the last chapter will He make sense of all the other chapters? Amen? He goes on to say, God never promises that we're going to fully understand everything that happens in this life. God never makes that kind of promise. Steve Sane is right. God never promises that, as John MacArthur says, Christianity will be a run through the park with a bouquet of balloons. God doesn't make that promise. And Steve Sane is right. God never promises us complete understanding and he never promises a happily you know happily ever after resolution to every situation every problem every trial in this life the men and women of Hebrews 11 they understood this they weren't in this thing they weren't in this god thing because they were interested in their temporal health wealth and prosperity they were in it because they loved him Beloved, if you're in Christianity for any other reason, you're in it for the wrong reason. If you don't love Christ, you're in it for the wrong reason. The men and women of Hebrews 11, they knew it was about Him. They knew it wasn't about them. They believed that He was God enough to live for. And tonight, we're going to study that, yes, He's God enough to die for. That's probably not going to happen to many of us in this room. Some of you may go home to countries that, where there's violence against Christians. Probably not most of us. But the Bible is asserting that Jesus is worth dying for. He is so worthy. He is so beautiful. He is so valuable. He's not simply worth living for. He is worth dying for. That's the assertion in Hebrews 11 about true biblical faith. This is where mature faith goes. Mature faith will always go to this place with God. This is mature faith. Just briefly, this is our last, our last uh, sermon in, in, in chapter 11. Just let me review very quickly. Verse 1, we saw the definition, God's definition of faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Basically saying that God is saying, my people, they don't live by sight. They have their eyes on the unseen God. They believe Him, they trust Him, they obey Him. Verse 6 tells us that without faith it is impossible to please God. 
Those who come to God must not only believe that He is, they must believe that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. As I've been saying throughout this series, if you don't believe He's a rewarder, you're never going to really obey Him. You're never really going to take a risk for Christ. You're never really going to take a stand for Christ. You know, take a stand where it costs something. You're never going to do it unless you believe He is a rewarding God. God says, my people must believe that I am, obviously, but they must believe I'm good. This is God's assertion in Hebrews 11. And then so, you know, religious professionals like me can't water it down to where it's unintelligible, God gives us a small avalanche of illustrations. He says, hey, just so religious guys and theologians can't mess this up, here's what it really looks like. And that's what the, the, the rest of chapter 11 is about. God says, it looks like these guys. And we go through this whole list of men and women who loved Him, and men and women who obeyed Him in a radical way. Let me just quickly review, you know, not only is this God's definition of faith and His illustration of faith, but there, there's, a, there's a maturing or a progression of faith that over, overlays the chapter. And I just want to share it with you real quickly and then we'll get into the text. Verses 7 through 12, God in His Word initiates. God always initiates. Men never initiate. We understand this from the fall. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve didn't go looking for God. God came looking for Men. God was warned by Noah. God was called by Abraham. God promised Sarah. God initiated. God in His Word always initiates. It's the first thing we learn about faith. Verses 13 to 19. If real faith resides in the heart, the born again kind, it will manifest itself in the life. It spills out into the life. It's just conspicuous, it's obvious. As we've been saying for the last several weeks, no such thing as a secret agent Christian. The world knows you're a Christian. If you're a real Christian, the world knows it. Everybody in your orbit knows it. This is not a secret. Because if it's real in your life, it spills out into your life. Amen? It will spill out. And God says, men and women who live like that, you remember the great text, I am not ashamed to be called their God. Verses 23-29 to we saw last week. Real faith, biblical faith, saving faith, born-again faith makes hard decisions to trust God and to obey God. We saw that last week in the life of Moses. This week, verses 30 to 38, we see that real faith, God-given faith, understands that God is not only beautiful enough to live for, He's beautiful enough to die for. And again, beloved, this is advanced Christianity, okay? <laughs> but this is where mature faith goes. Such a compelling glimpse and vision of God that I would take any risk for Him in obedience to Him. This is biblical faith. Even the most superficial read of the Bible discredits the phony health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that is so prevalent in these last days. If we actually read our Bibles, we understand that God's people sometimes when they're exercising true faith, deep faith, they're trusting and obeying the Lord, that they will suffer greatly for it. They will suffer greatly for it. 
You know, one of my seminary professors talking about persecution, he said, you know, and I, I'm from the States, I grew up in the States and went to seminary in the States. He says, you know, there's always been persecution of Christians. Always. He says, in the West right now, there's a respite. This is how he talked about it, and I liked it. He said, there's a respite in the West. You can get away with being a Christian right now. But it will not always be so, most likely. Even in the West. So beloved, don't you take, don't you take it for granted that you can come here and do this. Don't you take for granted that you can come here and you can worship your God and you can hear what He has to say from His Word. Christians love life. We love life. We're the happiest people on the planet. We actually are the only ones on the planet that understand what it's all about. Everybody else is walking around with a huge question mark over their head. They don't know where they came from. They don't know why they're here. They don't know where they're going. The Christian gets it. We are the happiest people on the planet, but we know that God is better than this life. God and His reward is better than anything this life has to give. And that's what we see from these men and women at the end of Hebrews 11. One theologian said it like this, He who has God and everything else in the world has no more than he who has God only. Right? I always like that. So real Christians don't follow Christ for temporal health, wealth, and prosperity. That's a false gospel. It's not a biblical gospel. If you ever hear that being preached, just go ahead and get up and walk out. It's the Antichrist. It's a false gospel. Hope I wasn't too strong on that. But we follow Him because He's God. And He's beautiful. And He's desirable. And He's our, he's our Creator. And He's our Redeemer. He's worthy to die for. If it comes down to it, He's worthy, beloved. He's worthy. He's worthy. God is the satisfier of our souls. And we will settle for nothing less. That's what you see in Hebrews 11. These men and women wouldn't settle for anything. Anything less than God. Money, power, status, career, family, pleasure, comfort, ease. None of it was enough. You know what? It was all too small, right? You know what I mean? It's too small. The things of the world are simply too small to hold our attention. If we really caught a glimpse of the living God. Look at the text, verse 30. Verse 30. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down. By faith, verse 31, Rahab the harlot did not perish as she provided safe harbor for the spies. God recounts the faith of the Exodus Jews and Rahab at Jericho. And what we see here about real faith, it begets courage. Okay? Real faith begets courage. Beloved, are you exercising courage out in the world? In your family? Where you work? In your school? Are you exercising courage for the glory of Jesus? Real faith begets courage. Just a quick, some quick background here. Jericho, uh, by the standards of that day, was impregnable. It, it, the walls were so thick you could line up two chariots side by side and drive them down. It, it was huge. The walls were simply impregnable. 
And Jericho was one of the most formidable obstacles in the promised land. God said to Joshua and to the people, He said, this one's mine. All you have to do is show up. <laughs> you know, God says, all you have to do is show up. You know, come on down. March around. March around a little bit. Shout some. I'll do the rest. It reminds you of, of Gideon, doesn't it? 300 guys against 135,000 or so. God says, just show up. You know, you got a pitcher, you got a torch, and you got a trumpet. Just show up. God's basically, you know what, you know what God's teaching these men and these women? That ultimately faith is pretty much showing up. God's going to do all the heavy lifting. God's going to do all the heavy lifting. Beloved, faith is showing up. Faith is just obeying the Lord. Yeah, we don't know what's going to happen. It doesn't always look safe. Sometimes it looks quite risky. What if God doesn't show up with Gideon and his 300 guys? They're slaughtered. But they got the victory because God always shows up. So the Lord says, yeah, go on down there. Walk around a little bit. Maybe you can shout some. Uh, we'll blow some horns. And you have to admit it, this is not an awe-inspiring military plan. But God's saying, I'm God. It's not about the plan. It's about me. It's never about the plan. <laughs> it's always about me. If you've been in ministry very long, you understand this is absolutely true. Right, Keith and Debbie? Mr. and Ms. Jones? It's not about the plan. It's about God. And it's true for all of us, all Christians who walk with the Lord. Does God need 300 guys with torches and pitchers and trumpets? Does God need people to walk around a, a, a castle or a, a fortress and scream? And blow? Does God need any of that? No! But you and I need to show up. If you're going to have a God encounter, if you're going to see His power in your life, you have to obey. Even when it doesn't really make much sense. Even when every fiber of your being is saying, I, I, I want this other thing. This other thing is right. This other thing looks doable. It looks manageable. But you know, clearly God's called you to do the other thing. Beloved, it's always about obedience. Hebrews 11. That's what real faith does. Sometimes trembling, but that's what it does. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith it is impossible to please God. I love this about God. God gives us, gives us what He asks of us. You understand that, right? God gives us what He asks of us. Ephesians chapter 2. God is the giver of faith. And He's the object of the faith. Again, I say it again. All that's left for you to do is show up and obey. God has given you the faith. God is there. His, infinite, His, uh, His uh, almighty power, omnipotent power is there. All we got to do, beloved, is show up. By faith, the walls of Jericho came down. And can you believe it? This harlot named Rahab is in the hall of fame of faith. Don't you love this about God? That Rahab the harlot is mentioned in Hebrews 11. She is the most unlikely candidate to be there. And yet, 
There she is. You see how far a little faith and a little courage will carry you? God has recorded her name so it will never be forgotten. You see what I'm saying? You see, you see how, how this impacts not only time, but all eternity. Rahab's name will never be forgotten. She's mentioned in God's Word several times. She's in the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1. You see how far a little faith, a little courage, and just showing up will take you, beloved. There's no telling how far, will, how far God will take you with a little faith, a little courage, and simple obedience. There's no telling. There are no limitations for you. I don't, you know, there are no limitations for you with God. The only limitations you have are the ones that you impose upon yourself. You have no limitations. You can be a mighty warrior. A mighty warrior in the spiritual realm. A mighty warrior in the kingdom of God. It's up to you. It's up to you. Look at verse 32 through 34. The writer says, I, I don't have time to talk about all these guys. So he talks about them collectively. Verse 33, By faith they conquered kingdoms. They performed acts of righteousness. They obtained promises. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. From weaknesses, from weakness were made strong. Became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight. <clears throat> Verses 33-34, I want you to notice this. Verses 33-34, to 34, we see how faith unleashes the power of God. Faith unleashes the power of God. In His perfect sovereign wisdom and will, He intervenes to deliver His people and to give them victory. Their lives and their deeds are a mighty testament to the reality and power of God. Beloved, that's what your life and your deeds are supposed to be. They're supposed to be a testament to the reality and power of God. Do the men and women in your orbit, are they, are they reading that God is awesome and God is good off your life? We talked a lot about it in the last several weeks. That's really our job description as a Christian. To make Jesus famous in the world. People should be asking us, why do you live like that? Why do you say that? Why do you refuse to do that? Why do you talk like that? Why do you read that Bible? Why do you tell me about Jesus? It's the way real Christians live, beloved. None of us do it perfectly. But it's the way Christians live. We can't talk about all these guys, but we can pull David out of the crowd. David in verse 32, just briefly. You know the story. It's one of my favorite in the Bible. This little boy is probably 12. And he fights. You know who he fights? He fights Goliath. He's nine feet, nine inches tall. That's three meters. He wore 125 pounds of armor. That's 57 kilos. His spear weighed 30 pounds. That's 14 kilos. He was a fighting machine. And this 12-year-old boy says, I'll go kill him. Everybody else was cowering. You may remember the story. 
The Bible says that King Saul and all his army of Israel, they were afraid and they were dismayed. David says this, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine who taunts the armies of my God? Let no man's heart fail on account of him. I will go and fight him. And all David has is a slingshot and a couple of rocks. He goes out there, man. And this is what he says to Goliath. I mean, he not only, you know, he not only walks out there with just a slingshot, he's got an attitude, you know? <laughs> he's got an attitude. Listen to what he says. I come to you in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, whom you have taunted this day. The Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and I will remove your head. Twelve-year-old boy. Beloved, are you that bold in the world? I doubt many of us, probably not on our calendar this week, we're going to fight a giant. But there are other kinds of giants, right? There are many kinds of giants. You probably have a giant in your life right now. Are you afraid? Or are you facing your giant? Knowing that your God is God and your God is good. It's biblical faith. It's biblical faith. Not church-going faith. You know, I show up for church, and that's about it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about men and women who turn the world upside down. One life at a time as they share the truth of the Gospel. You remember why, why, why David said he, why he said he was doing this? He says that the whole earth will know there is a God in Israel. Beloved, the whole earth should know that there is a God. Everyone you encounter should know that there is a God. Because you live the way that you do. Now God turns the corner on us. So we don't get carried away like the health, wealth, and prosperity guys do. I guess they stop reading right there where I stopped reading earlier. God turns the corner on us so we have no misunderstanding or misconceptions about the biblical life of faith so we don't have some distorted view. God says faith also suffers and dies, doesn't He? Again, contrary to the false teachers, the false prosperity teachers. I want you to notice as we... This is, this is an awesome lesson. I, I, I heard Piper say on this text, he said, he said, man, you, as a Christian, you've got to know this. You've got to know this is true. Or you can't be a Christian at all. <laughs> if you don't know this is true. So as we look at these sufferings of verses 35 to 38, I want you to understand as the deliverances came by faith, the sufferings came by faith. There's no distinction here. I want you to notice, if you go back to verse 33, it says, by faith, and there's no break here. By faith, there was great victory. There was great deliverance. And then he turns the corner there in verse 35, and he says, by faith, it's still the same thought, others were tortured. Then he continues on, verse 36. They experienced mockings and scourgings and chains and imprisonment. Verse 37. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. 
They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. They wandered in the deserts, in the mountains, in the caves, and in holes in the ground. We have to see that victory comes by faith, but the suffering comes by faith too. We need to make sure that we understand that if we're going to be mature Christians. The sufferings don't come because of some lack of faith or some weakness of faith, or because God's displeased. Beloved, God's God and you're not. We don't always understand what He's doing, but the true believer, the mature believer, the born-again believer submits to His sovereign will, His sovereign providences in our life. Blessing or trial, we praise God. Amen? Blessing or trial, we praise God. This is what Christians do. It's so important that we see this. The sufferings came by faith, not by unbelief. You can see it again. Back, Look down there in verse 39. You see it again. Verse 39, he's looking back at the previous verses and he says, all these have gained approval through their faith. Those who were delivered, those who were martyred. God was at work in each one. God was at work... And each one. So by faith, victory and deliverance, and by faith, suffering and death. There's a good contrast here. Look at verse 34. By faith, some escaped the edge of the sword. Look at verse 37. By faith, some were put to death with the sword. Beloved, it's not our job to understand all that God's doing, nor is it our job to question what God is doing. It's our job to worship Him in whatever He's doing. This is real Christianity. This is what it's supposed to look like. You know, don't take my word for it. Read your Bible. <laughs> Read your Bible. It's right here on the pages of Scripture. It's like those five missionaries that were murdered and martyred in Ecuador back in the mid-50s. God was doing a mysterious thing. God was doing a mysterious thing in their life. Sometimes, God delivers His people. And beloved, this is beautiful. I hope you get this. This is beautiful. Sometimes He delivers His people. And sometimes He reveals Himself in such a personal and intimate and jaw-dropping way that He sustains His people through the trial, through the torture, through the martyrdom. You know, we saw it in Acts. You remember when Stephen was martyred? Had Jesus abandoned Stephen? You remember? The heavens opened. What did Stephen see? There was Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Jesus in Scripture never stands at the right hand of God. He always sits at the right hand of God. I heard one preacher say, God stands to welcome His first martyr into heaven. I love that. I don't know if it's true, but it sounds like something Jesus would do. At least to me. Beloved, we, we leave providence to God. 
our job is to obey and worship Him in every circumstance. We're not to be fixated on the trial. We're to be fixated on the Lord. Verses 33-34, in the faith of His people, God unleashes His power to deliver them. In verses 35-38, to God, through the faith of His people, unleashes His sufficiency to satisfy them in the midst of the torture. As Isaiah is being sawn in two. God, no doubt, was ever present with Him. Do you see that in many, many ways, maybe in the most profound way, this is a, this is a more powerful testimony to who God is. It's a more powerful testimony to the world that God is so satisfying that His people can be martyred and tortured singing His praises. Do you see how this is more powerful than if God just showed up and did a, a miracle and blew the enemy away? Sometimes He does one, sometimes He does the other. Again, this is up to God. I, I always challenge you in here, let God be God. And you just be who you are. This is a powerful, powerful thing. I hope you understand it. I hope you see it. I hope you believe it. I hope you'll live it. Let God be sovereign. The testimony of these men and women is that when you can have it all, faith, is, faith says God is better. When you can have it all, faith says God is better. And when you lose it all, faith says God is better. I like how Piper says it. And I've said it to you many times. It's one of my favorite things a man has ever said that wasn't quoting Scripture. He said, God is better than anything this life can give and God is better than anything death can take. If you really believe that, if you're in that place with Christ, man, there's no telling what God will do through you. If you're in that place with Jesus, there is no telling what God will do through you. So you know the end of Steve Saint's story, don't you? You know how it ends? Well, most of you are so young, you don't know how it ends. Right? But go get the book. It's called Through the Gates of Splendor. One of the wives of one of the martyred men wrote the book. But Steve talks about uh, the martyrdom of his father and the others. Steve's aunt uh, whose name is Rachel, and Jim Elliott's wife, whose name is Elizabeth, they ultimately went back to the Aka Indians. They lived with them and they evangelized them. Now, who else does that? The people who killed their husbands and their loved ones, these women had such great love for these lost people, they go back and they live with them and evangelize them. Is that not an awesome story? Is that not an awesome story? Another thing that happened after these five men were martyred is the seminaries began to fill up with people who were inspired by this account. Many missionaries will name, older missionaries obviously, many will name this as the event that God used to put them on the path to ministry and to become a missionary. Another very touching um, consequence of, of the event. Minke, who was one of the men who actually speared and hacked 
the missionaries, Minke is now the honorary adopted grandfather of Steve Saint's children. They call him Pop. Beloved, this is Christianity. This is power and love that the world does not understand. You see, we're only, get, we're only catching a very small glimpse of what God was doing in the lives of these men. But God was doing a mighty thing. Steve Sain has watched this. He's seen this. He's had a front row seat to all that God has done. He says, countless lives have been impacted, is what he says. He said, listen to this. He says, if I had it to change, I wouldn't change a thing. Beloved, do you, do you understand? Can you relate? Can you relate to this? This is what real faith does. It loves and trusts God through the pain, through the tears. It loves and trusts God when nothing really makes sense. It loves and trusts God uh, when the heartache is unrelenting. It loves and trusts God not only in the blessing, but in the trial. There's a great analogy, and I'm done. I'll be, I'm, I'm finished. I'm sorry. I don't know how long I've preached. Hopefully not too long. But from our perspective, we only see the underside of the tapestry. How many of you have heard this analogy before? You ever looked at the under, underside of a tapestry? How does it look? It looks really bad, right? It's chaotic. It's ugly. It makes no sense. It looks like a huge mistake. But from God's perspective, it is a masterpiece on the other side, right? On the top side of the tapestry, it is a masterpiece. God is the master artisan and He's creating a masterpiece. Beloved, you just can't see it yet. <laughs> You and I can't see it yet, but we're supposed to be trusting Him for it. I'm going to close with a John Piper quote. Piper says, Faith is utterly in love with all that God will be for us beyond the grave. Faith loves God more than life. Faith loves God more than family. Faith loves God more than jobs, more than money, more than dream houses, more than retirement. Faith says whether God handles me tenderly or gives me over to torture. I love Him. He is my reward. This is what the Christian knows. And beloved, this is how we are supposed to live. God expects His children to live like He's God and to live like He's good. Let's pray together. You know what? We're going to take a minute. If you want to pray, you pray. If you want to praise the Lord, if you have something you want to say to Him, uh, very briefly, obviously. If you want to give a brief word to the Lord, uh, you pray and then I'll, I'll close. I'll give you a few minutes. If anyone would like to pray, please pray.